Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, Husker fans. Welcome to episode 231 of the Husker Football Fan Podcast. I'm Mike Harvat. In today's episode, Justin talks with Kamir Morabian of the Crimson and Cream Machine podcast to preview this year's long-anticipated matchup between the Nebraska Cornhuskers and the Oklahoma Sooners. You can find us on the web at huskerpod.com or by searching Husker Football Fan Podcast on Facebook. You can also connect with us on Twitter by following at huskerpod or email us at huskerpod at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you by Central Nebraska Buffalo. Check out their website for the latest deals at cnbuffalo.com. We're also brought to you by Monty Rody with Pinnacle Realty in Lincoln. Looking to buy or sell a home in Lincoln or know somebody who is? Reach out to Monty at 402-770-3356. We are thrilled to welcome Kamir Marabi into the show. Kamir is the host of the Crimson and Cream Machine podcast. Welcome to the Husker Pod. Hey man, thanks for having me on. It's a it's a, it's a good day, and uh, it's a good day to talk OU Sooners and Nebraska Cornhusker football. Yeah, it's a classic conversation. Apparently, not worthy of anything beyond an 11 a.m. kickoff, but that's that's the worst. I mean, like I get I get it. From it's our fault. It's our fault. Sorry. <laughs> like hey, hey man, you're the one that said it. But like I get it's it from true. like a national media perspective. People don't want to see like probably number three four five ranked OU face off against a Nebraska team that has seen better days Indeed. but the whole like 50th anniversary of the game of the century yeah. and like and there's so there's so much like stars and there's there's so much like into that we could have at least you know gone for a 230 time I know. slot yeah. but at the same well, time like I wonder how much money they Fox makes off of teams at 11 a.m. because it is an early get up. So I imagine OU would get people out of bed and a game like OU Nebraska would get people out of bed too, for being That's honest. true. I might tune in if I wasn't planning on otherwise. It's a good point. Well, I, I kind of have two directions I want to go with this conversation. I want to talk like history and then now or okay. you know, the near future. So let's let's start with the history. And I got to tell you, I have not really paid attention to OU since our last game, which was the the 2010 championship, which was uh, the second consecutive agonizing conference loss for Nebraska and really the closest we've come uh, in a generation to a conference championship game. And, you know, right after that, we left the, we left the conference and we just got, I, we got really focused on our new neighbors and learning about the scene and just kind of stopped paying attention to OU. So what's, what has it been, what is the post Nebraska post, actually having 12 teams in the big 12 what's that been like for the last decade you know i mean oklahoma in the last decade I mean, we're going back till 2012 2010 ish oklahoma they've strengthened their for a while actually they they took a dip in production they they i guess bob stoops might have rested on his laurels a little bit uh took too much of a ceo approach and the next thing you know, TCU, Baylor, those are the guys that were winning the conference and honestly embarrassing OU a couple of times along the way until about 2015 
Uh, so an area between 2013, 2014, 2012-ish was kind of shaky for OU. I mean, of course, we say shaky. They were winning 9, 10 games a year. Uh, and then in 2015, the hiring of Lincoln Riley comes about, and they have won a Big 12 title every year since. And they've made it to the cultural playoff, I think, all but two years um, with that going by, too. So, I mean, Oklahoma's won 14 Big 12 titles since 1998. <laughs> it's just so like what oh yeah yeah it's like what 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 do we want to say and texas has the i think texas has the next closest maybe with nebraska at three uh so i mean it's wow. it, it, it's it's hard to say other than other than really good huh. okay good for you guys it there i will say there's a lot of affection for oklahoma which i think is kind of bizarre um because for a whole generation multiple generations it was you know, the season was defined by narrow losses to Oklahoma or, you know, sometimes not narrow and um, getting over that hump in the eighties. And then Nebraska finally goes on a tear and, you know, Oklahoma is where Nebraska is now. I mean, some of my first memories of Oklahoma are just embarrassing, embarrassing losses for Oklahoma. And um, so it's kind of odd to me that there's so much affection for OU and Nebraska mm-hmm. right now, considering the long history of tension, but I think it's just, we just don't have, just don't have anybody, you know, we don't have that, you know, that respect, I guess. The last time that I really respected Nebraska as a football team, um, before, I guess, Taylor Martinez, that was kind of fun. You have Indomitian Sioux, those battles between Indomitian Sioux and Gerald McCoy were really fun in 2009, especially where he should have won the Heisman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Eric, the, the Eric Crouch, 2000, 2001, yeah was really the last time that I thought from coming from the Sooners perspective, man, this Nebraska team's like really, really, really good. And I, that was still under Solich, I think. And I, I, under, and I sometimes wonder why Nebraska thought that a program was deteriorating under Solich. Uh, I mean, like Barry Switzer went under the same idea of like losing two to three games a year. And he had, he got back in the saddle and won another national title in 85. Uh, but you know, that's the last time that I think that Sooner fans maybe really, really, really respect Nebraska because, you know, you, there was a slew of coaches, right? There was, I can't remember who was after Solich. Yeah, we, we don't need to talk about them. Like Callahan. <laughs> Callahan is one of them. Callahan oh, Riley. Uh, Mike Riley was such a terrible choice. And uh, I like Bo. I like Bo Pelini. He, he gave them a lot more respect in the program. I don't, I don't, I do not get the Mike Riley hire. Well, I think the, the firing of Solich and the hiring of Mike Riley are both an example of an athletic director who was going to do what he was going to do. And, uh, and both, both those athletic directors were fired. And, uh, and that I've heard sports reporters in in Nebraska talk about the firing of Solich, like the original sin of Nebraska football. Like it's just never, it's never, we were going to let the program gravitate to mediocrity. Guess what? Right. So, uh, so keeping it more positive, I mean, uh, so, you know, younger generation of OU fans don't really have any appreciation for Nebraska, but I know that like for previous, maybe even generation X and then boomers, certainly there's a lot of love. So is there a lot of excitement for this matchup? You know, I would say that there's a lot of excitement for the matchup just because of what, has been communicated to, I guess, millennials and, and, and Gen Zers uh, about, 
hey, how big this game is and how big this game used to be and how there's Game of the Century Part 1 and Game of the Century Part 2, really educating those folks in on what OU Nebraska used to be like. I mean, my my first really experience with Nebraska was in the late 90s when OU was just not good. And so, I mean, we need to acknowledge everything that happened before. And I think the education side behind, like, I think the education of of young, young fans are like in 13, 14, you know, when you start to really get into national football um, is really important. And that's what's gone. That's what, that's what's happened. Uh, So I would say probably like millennials, Gen X, uh, folks that are from the boomer generation, they are super incredibly excited about this game. Uh, but I think because of the big 12 going North and South and not playing Nebraska as often. Yeah. And of course with Nebraska's exit to the big 10, uh, that's definitely like lost on a lot of people. And, yeah. but I know like people like me and older are very excited to see what this turns out to be. Yeah. We're really hopeful we can give it a game, make it a good game. Um, you mentioned the North South. I think that's a great point. I think a lot of times the narrative focuses on Texas as the reason things fell apart, but you look back to the North and South division and losing the annual competition with Oklahoma that I think was the beginning of the end. Yeah. And they, they could have protected their rivals just like every conference does, but they decided not to, for some reason, which is very odd to me. Yeah. Well, heartbreak at the risk of being over dramatic heartbreaking. I mean, just the, I think the idea was, Correct me if I'm wrong. It's like, well, we've got an annual rival with Texas. We don't need another big annual rival. Is that? I, I suppose. I mean, like, if if Oklahoma State ended up being in the Big Twelve North at the time, I guarantee you they would have found out a way to play Oklahoma yeah. State. Yeah. And Nebraska yeah. is a far bigger rival as far as what was on the table at the end of the year. Well, I, I can tell you when when there was chatter that maybe this game was going to get we were going to try and get rid of it. I mean, the blow the blowback from the fans was just intense. So um, even if there's, even if it's a matter of showing up and taking our medicine, like Husker fans were incensed at the notion of not playing this game. So we're really excited, really excited. The only time I've been down to Norman for a game was one of Bo's first years. I think it was like 35 to zero, five minutes in. And um, so expecting a better showing, but it's, it's a good Oklahoma town. This is probably a good, a good segue to uh, to what 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 is Nebraska going to be facing when we come down there? I mean, give us a little update on how good is this team? So, all right, I would say, and I think a lot of people would agree with me uh, that this Oklahoma team is probably the most well put together team Oklahoma has seen since the 2008 uh, national title game team with the Florida Gators when they I think the was like 21 to 14. But I would say most people say that this is a very, very complete team on defense. Alex Grinch has really turned them around in three years. I mean, the first year you weren't expecting too much, uh, but he did a lot with Mike Stoops players. The second season, of course, last year, he vaults this defense into a top 30 defense, I believe. And then they're returning like nine guys back on defense again. Uh, so looking for a very, very good showing from them. And then the offense under Lincoln Riley, I mean, you've got four and five star guys everywhere combined with consensus, all Americans and transfers from Tennessee that I'm sure are going to help. Uh, there's going to be a lot of Spencer Rattler, but I'm sure there'll be a lot of split back sets on the, on the running backs with Eric gray. And the offensive line is going to be huge as usual. And 
having a massive talent pool wide receivers and including transfer Mike Woods from Arkansas. So uh, it's a, it, they're supposed to be very, very good. Uh, their national title window is supposed to start this year over the next couple of years. So there's a lot of excitement in Norman, what this team will be doing to the big 12 and what this matchup in Nebraska could look like. Tell me about the national title window. What are you talking about there? <clears throat> so, over the last five years, right, or, or I guess seven, my goodness, time is flying. Uh, since 2015, when Oklahoma made their first college football playoff appearance, they played against Clemson. They ended up they were ended up up at half, and of course, they just didn't have the depth. They didn't have all the guys yet, and they got taken care of in the, in the second half. In Oklahoma, you know, they they go to the Sugar Bowl. They come back with Kyler Murray against Alabama. The defense is awful, but the offense is immaculate. We'll still won't win you a national title. Mm. The next year, Jalen Hurts comes through. You run into the buzzsaw that is LSU that everybody else ran into. Of course, the offense wasn't good enough, and the defense definitely wasn't good enough. And then last year, uh, you have Spencer Rattler in his first year. You don't expect too much from them. Uh, they go out and win a Big 12 title. They beat the heck out of the Florida Gators, and they really come together at the very end of the year. And so the national title window that Sooner fans and folks have been referencing is you get Spencer Rattler into his second year has fully learned the offense. You get the offense that just keeps on rolling, but also the defense is now more than average. They're, they are formidable. Uh, they are have one of the best defensive lines in the country right now that the defense is good enough to win a national title as well. And so fans are super excited. And there's like, I would say every year, Oklahoma fans have very, very high expectations. This year, I think their expectations are national title or bust, um, which is like sooner fans will say, well, that's the situation every year. But that's not the case. Like, of course, nobody expected OU to win a national title in 2013 or 14. But this year, for real, for sooner fans and for I imagine the coaches and everybody around the institution, this is a national title season or bust. And they expect that to be that way for the next however long Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch are there. So for, for folks like me who've been really focused on the Big Ten, what makes Spencer Radler so exceptional? His, his, his arm talent, his arm ability. You know, he's not going to be a Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray that's going to be able to really be elusive and run around. He gets around in the pocket. He gets around the pocket okay. Sometimes Lincoln Riley calls up designed runs for him, and I'm not a big fan of that because he can take a shot in the shoulder and just be out. Mm-hmm. But what sets him apart is this it's just his arm talent his his accuracy especially when his footwork is not as crisp as it could be jalen hurts started for the ou offense in 2019 but spencer rattler came in the summer everything i heard about from practice in that summer is if spencer rattler had come on to ou's campus in the spring and started school in january he would have been starting quarterback and jalen hurts never would have transferred to ou because he was making throws in practice in 2019 that now starting Philadelphia Eagles, Jalen Hurts, quarterback, uh, couldn't make in practice. So everybody knew this guy is special. Like I've, I've said this several times. He kind of reminds me of, and I know this is a terrible comp right now because of how good Patrick Mahomes is, but <laughs> the competition would be the, the comp uh, comparison would be Patrick Mahomes that he's got limited mobility. He can still move around. But just the way he whips his arm around, just how much arm talent he has, the talent he has to make certain throws. So what makes him really special? The key this year for him, because people are putting him really, really high in Heisman odds because he's a quarterback in Lincoln Riley's system, 
is can he get it done between the ears? Uh, can he di- can he get it done? Because we all know he's physically talented. We all know he's talented on the on the field, but can he get those play calls in? Because Baker Mayfield, he ran his own offense, and Lincoln Riley let him do that. Kyler Murray did a little bit of the same thing. Spencer Rattler, is he going to ha- take full command of that offense, or is he going to be looking to the sideline at Lincoln Riley, seeing what he should be able to do? Hmm. Go- going back to conference co- talk a little bit, what – um, who's, who's competing with OU these days? I mean, is it OU and everybody else? I know Texas likes to think they're back every other year, but, uh, like, is there any competition? Iowa state is a very good team for OU, uh, just because of the way they play, they, they will play a three, three, five and drop you into dime coverage. And you're going to, it's going to force Spencer Rattler and all the other quarterbacks to play underneath where OU likes to go over the top a lot. And they'll squeeze, you know, windows so tight to where it's going to cause a quarterback to hold the ball a little bit longer. And you saw OU losing uh, in Ames uh, earlier in the fall before they took care of Iowa State in the Big 12 title game. But Iowa State for sure, I think they return about 19, 20 guys on that team from last year who, they're very good, very, very talented. Matt Campbell is a great football guy, great football coach. I like him a lot. Texas is always going to be if they're going to be the, because it's Texas. I mean, they get the best recruits. I know, right? They get the best recruits. <laughs> they get the best recruits. They have the most money. How can they not be something formidable? And maybe it'll be like an Alex Grinch situation with that entire team where they take those four and five-star guys they've constantly recruited. Texas is amazing because they can go four and eight and still land a top 10 class. If OU does that, if anybody else does that, OU won't land a top 10. They might still still land the top 20, top 30. But Texas, just because they're Texas, are going to get a bunch of guys. They have the best facilities. They have all the money in the world. I mean, money rules a lot of things. Mike Stoops is supposed to be their linebackers coach. The donors weren't having it, and he had to go find a job elsewhere. Hmm. Uh, But Texas is there. OSU... Uh, man, I'm kind of worried about them. TCU is going to be interesting, but the team that always ends up biting OU, and we don't know why, is Kansas State. State. Don't know why. And I think it's because they just like to punch OU in the mouth and see how OU is going to react. And sometimes, as you've seen the last two seasons, the OU has not responded well to getting punched in the mouth by the Wildcats. And We'll see what happens this year. The game is not the game is in Manhattan, and uh, if OU gets down early, could be another another interesting game because that that's been a team that's given OU trouble besides Iowa State for the last however long Lincoln Riley's been there because OU's playing this kind of finesse basketball on grass game, and unless you're on the defensive side of the ball, in K State they are just. Uh, two yards in a cloud of dust, so still working out there, and you got to respect it. So is that, is that kind of the formula for what it takes for Nebraska to hang with OU? Just punch them in the mouth early and often? I would say being incredibly physical with OU and seeing how they respond because sometimes they'll respond pretty well. Other mm-hmm. times, though, like against Kansas State, uh, if it keeps coming like, like a jackhammer, uh, they, uh, they don't respond too well. And so, of course, that has to be combined with turnovers and things like that because OU will score so quickly uh, just the way the nature of their offense is but one to two turnovers plus playing really physical with Lincoln Riley team that equals at least a close game uh, and maybe even a loss for the Sooners you already alluded to not liking to see Rattler run because 
uh, you know, one hit and he's down. Is there a capable backup? So this is where things get a little bit interesting. It's kind of like what Clemson did last year. Spencer Rattler is QB one. There's no question. They have the number one quarterback in the country. They recruited to bring in Norman and Caleb Williams. And when Trevor Lawrence went out with in Clemson, DJ, I do not know how to say his last name because there's a Sorry. lot of there's a lot of vowels and consonants after the UG. Um, but he turned out to really play really, really well for Clemson in that game. Same thing kind of for OU right here. They've got Spencer Rattler. If he gets dinged at all, they've got their backup quarterback right now is five former five star quarterback, Caleb Williams, who we all know is good. But that doesn't mean anything until you strap on the helmet and the shoulder pads in a real game. And then, of course, they got a transfer in from Penn State in Micah Bowens. I believe that's just a depth thing. I think it's a business decision for both parties because the third quarterback, if it was if Bowens didn't transfer, would be a walk on. And that's not typically something you want at OU or really any school. Um, I got distracted because a coworker walked by. Mike, edit this part. Um, uh, Nebraska fans are known for traveling well. I think there's going to be a lot of Huskers in the area. Do you, how, how will the OU fans hang on to their tickets? Like, do you, could you see a lot of Nebraskans in there? How hard is it going to be? Man, it is a, that's a tough situation just because that, the stadium is going to be at full capacity yeah. and it'll be one of the first actual games that yeah. we will all see the entire year, especially a year after the pandemic was really hitting everybody pretty hard. And now that people are getting vaccinated and people are just like, it's, I don't know what it is, but like the cases are going down dramatically. I think a lot of people are going to try to get their hands on some OU tickets and like in, in massive amounts. I do expect to see Nebraska fans to get as many as they can because Again, it's more than a football game. It's yeah. it's, a, it's a tradition. It it's it used to be whoever won this game was likely going to play for the national title, if not just the conference outright. And so there's going to be a lot of people at this game. I I hope there are a ton of Nebraska fans. I really do. And when we tailgate, I hope to see many Nebraska fans joining in our tailgates and tailgating with us. Um, I don't know how many how much capacity they'll actually see, but I'm also excited to see Nebraska fans come down and ones that visited OU prior uh, get to see the newly renovated part of the stadium uh, yeah. because they fully even closed it now. And it looks really, really great. And so I'm really, really excited to host Nebraska fans. I'm just hope that there are a lot of them there because of the amount of everybody that's going to want tickets this year after not yeah. being able to go and see them last year. The pent up demand. Yeah, that's true. That's going to be a huge factor. You know, in my limited experience, just talking to Husker fans, there are so many Nebraskans in like, so Kansas city, and then you go south from there throughout Kansas and Missouri, and then into Oklahoma that we're so used to just driving to K state, Kansas, Missouri from, from Nebraska. But then the fans who live down South making the trip to OU, Oklahoma state. And, um, and with the conference making that shift uh, North and East from there, uh, they, I think that there's a little bit of a, a like left behind vibe. And I think mm. that nostalgia is going to, people are going to empty their wallets is my guess. And oh, I think so too. I think it's going to be a, the hottest 11 a.m. ticket of the, of the season for sure. I think there'll be a lot of, honestly, I think there, and I've, I've, I've looked at this several times from different perspectives. I think there are going to be tears shed at the game for a variety of reasons. And first of all, you're back together with 84,000 of your other friends that you haven't gotten a high five over the last year. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's number one, right? And secondly, it's, you know, you have all the feelings of 2000 OU with Eric Crouch and them coming in number two versus number one and the game of the century and all that stuff. And then 2001 when Nebraska visited the, uh, the national title and they, these teams were very, very good. And yeah. uh, so there's going to be a lot of reasons why just the nostalgia of it all and the, the remembrance of it all. And finally being able to come back together in large crowds once again, um, it'll be exciting. It'll be a great environment. And well, I hope and, there's Nebraska fans there a lot. And, and it's, and, and for a frustrated fan base, I mean, it's a connection to the glory years. And so I think for that, I think, I think that our big 10 peers are going to be like, shut up about Oklahoma because there's going to be a lot of gush and there's going to be a lot of stories. And, but you look at that connection, like you look at Tom Osborne, he's not a young man, you know, mm-hmm. he's going to be, I'm sure he's going to be there. I'm sure he's going to like walk out in the field or something. And uh, he's, he's getting up there in years. And uh, I don't know how I assume Barry Switzer, he might be a little younger, but he's, mm-hmm. he's not a young man either. And so, you know, it's a, it's a connection to a rich past and it's a past that's not going to be with us forever. And so I, I, I think the tears comment is right on. It's going to be a, an emotional moment for a whole bunch of reasons. And I, uh, I just hope it's, it's competitive into the second half. I am too. I'm, I'm hoping for a good game. And I, and I hope to see all the pictures of Osborne and Switzer walking side by side. Cause you know, those dudes have shared their fair bits of frustration and laughs and hearty and cries and stuff like that. Just out of the names of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I'll tell you, Scott, Scott cares. And he played it in Nebraska when, I don't know how good was, was that the down years then the mid to late nineties, like Oklahoma mm-hmm. was, I think he oh, was they part were of maybe so some bad. like, you know, 70 to 10 yes. yeah. beat down. So, you know, while he wasn't a part of the team when it was a competitive game, I mean, he's steeped in Husker tradition. I, I believe his dad was on the, he was on the team in like 69 or 70, maybe even 71. So around the game of the century, um, and his, his dad passed about a year ago and, uh, was a huge influence in his life. So, he, while he may not have been a part of the team when it was a competitive game, he, he knows that, that rivalry. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's going to be real important to him too. The trick probably with him and the team will be not getting too jacked up. Uh, right. Kind of what happened with Colorado a few years ago. So it's so interesting though, the relationship between Nebraska, Oklahoma is so different from, from Colorado who the big 12 tried to make our end of season nemesis. And then now Iowa, who are, is our new end of season nemesis. I mean, I think having lost five years in a row makes Nebraskans respect Iowa, but it's just not the same as, you know, OU who's like, as you've said, 14 conference championships. It's a different level. So it's nice to be standing next to someone who you used to be a peer with and and reflecting on that. So it'll be a nostalgic game. Oh yeah. It'll be, it'll be good. Um, I got, I got a question for you. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I asked, I asked, I asked John uh, the the other day, we were talking about, about Nebraska and and blue chip or not blue chip but a uh, blue blood status yeah because there's been a lot of talk especially down in the Big Twelve about man Nebraska hasn't been like relevant relevant yeah. since 2001 and we thought in of course like maybe 2002 2003 a couple years after after that national title game what is your take on Nebraska's blue blood status like how how much longer can this kind of like back slide last before people really start to say are they even among yeah. us anymore or what are, what are your thoughts on that because john said of course nebraska's still blue blood status because look at the entire body of work yeah 20 years is nothing oh OU, OU hasn't won a title a national title in over 20 years and so so like that's that's something to say but i mean what, what are your thoughts on that 
Yeah, no, I thought it was a good question. I liked his answer. I feel like relevancy and blue blood status are two different things. I mean, you know, blue blood kind of implying like old money and uh, you don't just lose that in a generation. It takes a while to lose blue blood status. I think if this continues for another 20 years, it's like you're definitely a has been and also ran, but um, the aspirations here are so high and the, uh, the buy-in, the financial buy-in, the, you know, university-wide leadership buy-in, like it's everything you need to continue that, I guess, blue blood status and become relevant. It just hasn't happened. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we talked about the fall about losing firing Solich and, and retooling and, uh, you know, Callahan throwing so many things away that made us so such a winning program. And um, Bo, Bo had start, he had a really good defense for the big 12. He had, he, I don't want to say he had it figured out, but he knew how to do it. And he was not able to make that trans, conference transition. And, and, and at the same time, the big 10 network money has really pumped up the, the conference that we're in now, and especially the division we're in now. And so you got all these crazy factors that have kept us from being relevant. Um, but I do think that blue blood status is something that doesn't just go away. You know, is Clemson a blue blood? I mean, they've been good for some years, but what is, nah. I don't know. Nah. I don't, I don't think that makes you blue, but at the same time, I mean, I don't want to sit here having a class debate. I think that's right. You know, that's kind of gross, but the relevancy that's, we're not, uh, but we want to be, um, we're not, I mean, people still talk about Nebraska. People still love to hate on Nebraska, which tells you, you know, we're, we're not nothing. Um, uh, but your question to him, and then I listened to a couple of your episodes, you, you said, are you happy to be in the big 10? He's like, well, the money's good. And then the next episode, you guys were like, what a terrible reason to be happy. Uh, I thought that was really interesting because that is kind of a response is like, well, we're happy where we are. Cause we're look, you know, the cash is great. Um, <laughs> yeah, cause it's like, what, what are we, what are we doing? What are we doing here? If like, yes, we lost by two touchdowns to Iowa. But the money is fantastic for I mean, the revenue. I'm like, why? Why would you? I get like, like, I understand that may be the response because of the lack of W's on the field. And so, like, you may say, like, well, that's that's your crutch to lean on, I suppose. But man, that what a that sounds like a terrible existence as a football fan for Nebraska football. Yeah, I think I think you look at the academic side of the house and the, the move to the big 10 totally makes sense. Just mm. uh, the, uh, the quality, you know, not to talk down about our old conference mates, but the academic institutions in the big 10 are just at another level. And oh, so, yeah. you know, we went from being top of the, you know, towards the top of the pack in the big 12 academically, it's really the bottom chasing. And we've made, I think academically, the school has made up a ton of ground and it's a very different academic institution for the better than we were when it left the big 12. So if you want to look really holistically at it, I think that's been a good thing. I think the women's sports have transitioned really well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, women's volleyball is the, the conference is so deep and the commitment is so strong and we've won national championships plural. So, I mean, from the women's side of the house, it's been, it's been a great move and I don't think there's any regret. Um, baseball, it stinks to be in a conference that doesn't care about baseball. And we, you know, we got matched up with Arkansas, Mm. you know, basically Mm. the 32nd seed, despite winning the conference. And that's just a slap in the face at big 10 baseball. So that stinks basketball, you know, we've been working to figure that out for all of Nebraska history (laughs) and, uh, and football, it's just so frustrating. So I think there is, 
Yeah. I mean, OU is a program that we like to be associated with. And, but then there's a lot of programs in the big 10 that have a similar level of commitment to football that you just don't have in the big 12. So honestly, if you guys could come on over, it would be a really great situation. You know, (laughs) that's interesting that you say that because OU, their, their third tier media TV rights are up relatively soon and where they choose to park those rights will be very telling as far as if they intend to stay in the big 12 with the idea of adding two extra teams at the conference, would they intend to go to the SEC if they decide to make a package deal with ESPN or if they decide to jump to the Big Ten? Now, a lot of circles and folks that I know have suggested a lot of the things Oklahoma and, and, and David before and before he went out and then Joseph Harrows, who's the new president of the university. Man, a lot of the language they're using is different And I mean that in a way in which they are really pressing forward with academic rigor, academia, pillars of academic institutions and and all these other things. It sounds very big tennis. And so there's this idea that Oklahoma, it's quite possible um, if these signs are legit and not just conspiracy. Oklahoma may end up in the big 10 when all this stuff is done in about five, six years, but who knows, but there's, there could be so much happening between now and then, but a lot of the language they've been using regarding academic institutions and rigorous uh, and just like all that stuff would make a lot of sense, but I don't know how other big 12 teams would follow suit considering not many of them are as academic on, on that same level prestige as maybe OU. Um, I know like OSU, is going to try to ride the coattails of a wherever you can go. And I don't know how many conferences want OSU. Yeah. It's fascinating. It'll be really interesting to see, you know, if, and when the next round of realignment comes, because I don't think Nebraska is not leaving the big 10. I mean, a lot of the, you know, I think some of the older sports writers who long for that, it's like, of course they came of age, they, their experiences in the big 12 and we won in the big eight. Um, But that's not the reality. So, um, I hate to say, so I'm not going to say, yeah, it's good because the money's good. I think there are reasons, but gosh, winning would be, we would give a lot of that money. It'd be pretty nice. Yeah. For some wins. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, Kamara, can you, uh, just to wind things down, can you tell us a little bit, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your podcast so that if they want to learn more about Oklahoma and the lead up to this game, they can get educated from you guys. Yeah. Uh, you guys can find us on pretty much any podcast platforms at crimson and cream machine uh for OU football fans and stuff like that uh it's a good time we're at crimson and cream machine.com you can find us on twitter at cc machine pretty simple stuff and you know just tweet at us and tell us what you like and follow us if you want to and uh we'll be happy to respond are you guys just football are you all sports or what's your focus focus for me especially the podcast uh, is very centric around OU football basketball and apparently softball season well yeah, they're super good. Cool. Well, it's hey, it's been a pleasure talking to you. As as I said a couple of times, I listened to the number of your podcasts and it's a lot of fun. So recommend it to our listeners. And uh so so you're gonna be tailgating before the Nebraska game? Should be good. You know, it's it's a little bit of an early kickoff, you know, getting a little bit of an early start, but it'll be good times before and afterwards. I'd say at this point, there's I'm gonna put it a 25% chance that I'm down there. So if I am, I might come looking for you. All right, man. Hey, hit me up. I will. All right. Come here. Great getting to know you. And uh, we'll maybe see you later. All right, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.
Thanks again to Mr. Morabian for joining us on the podcast. We have added links to the Crimson and Cream Machine, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Twitter, their website. All that stuff is in our show notes, so be sure to check that out. Also, be sure to check out cnbuffalo.com to get yourself some Central Nebraska Buffalo. Um, It is prime grilling season, my friends. Why not throw on the grill and let the sun do half the work for you, right? Anyway, it's a lot easier to grill out when you have your own home. So we also want to recommend Monty Rohde with Pinnacle Realty in Lincoln. Give him a phone call at 402-770-3356. Or you can also email monty.rohde at prglincoln.com. We'd love to see you all supporting our sponsors because they support us. It helps make this podcast possible. And uh, as always, this is going to be free to you. So uh, not going to ask you to be our patrons or anything like that. So the way you can help us out is by helping out our sponsors. All right. On behalf of Justin, I'm Mike Harvat saying go Big Red. Husker Football Fan Podcast is an unofficial, non-commercial podcast and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. The views expressed on this podcast belong solely to the individuals expressing them. The Husker Football Fan Podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with the Nebraska Cornhuskers or the University of Nebraska. Nebraska.